Bond, James Bond. Hi, this is Robert Dobby, and you're listening to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Stay tuned. Today, we take apart the gadgets in two of Roger Moore's James Bond movies, The Man with the Golden Gun from 1974 and The Spy Who Loved Me, 1977. And we thank Robert Dobby for his intro for us. If you have not yet listened to our interview with him, do so. He tells some great backstories and is fascinating. All right, let's get to the gadgets. The Man with the Golden Gun. All right, the Golden Gun, of course, was the best gadget. Made up of a pen for the barrel, a cigarette lighter for the chamber, a cigarette case for the handle, and a cufflink for the trigger. Now, I really liked this gadget. I it's mean, cool. they, they they named the movie after this gadget because yeah. right? it's the man with the golden gun. Yeah, it's such a simple device, but so perfectly well disguised. Yeah, if you just saw those individual parts, you would absolutely not think anything of it which to me is why it made it such a phenomenal gadget because it is, it is. I always wondered though, because I don't think there's any time in the movie where he really uh, has to hide that he's going to shoot somebody. Does he? uh, I don't know if he has to hide, but he's used, he uses some of the devices, the pieces of it. Yeah. I mean, I would think he would just keep it together and take it out and shoot somebody. (laughs) Well, but if you if you have to go through security know. somewhere or something to some event or something, yeah, nobody would know it was there. I guess. All right. I mean, All if right. You, yeah. If you take if you take a look at something like the um, uh, Clint Eastwood movie um, in the Line of Fire, there was the gad the, the gun they had to to smuggle in, and it was made out of wood. Yeah. Right, right here. You just have the individual pieces there. Yeah, Nobody like would think twice. I like the concept. I like the concept. This golden gun. All right. For 1974, this was a fascinating little gadget and has a little more oomph than the AR collapsible, AR-7 collapsible rifle in From Russia with Love. I mean, that was, again, a component kind of rifle. But real spies in the real world used ordinary objects that revealed guns like belt buckles, pens, lighters, and more. Real stuff in real Is that spies. a Felix lighter, Dan? Huh? <laughs> Is that a Felix lighter? <laughs> yeah, I know. He says that in uh, uh, For Your Eyes Only, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There was even a cigar pistol, a wrist pistol. Remember the Moonbreaker wrist pistol, of course. And I think the Wild Wild West, I think West had a... Uh, uh, yeah, the, wrist pistol, the, the, right? Yeah, right. thing uh, you flicked your wrist, the little derringer, yeah. Yeah, I a little derringer. All mm. right, single-shot cigarette pistols. You remember the one in You Only Live Twice, this cigarette can save your life. Remember that? Shoots a little <laughs> propelled <laughs> bullet. <laughs> there even was a glove gun that had a contact plunger at the end so that if you punch someone, the gun would fire. I mean, these were what? real... Real That's things. a punch. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. A you punch. hit him with your wrist and you shoot him at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. So all that stuff was real. So this component gun is pretty cool. And of course, Scaramanga was so good with his gun, he only needed one shot. So the gun <laughs> held one bullet. That's and how much did he get paid for that? that one, one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's a good that's a good gadget and the main gadget of the movie since, like you said, Tom, the movie is named after it. Then you got the Solex Agitator. No, oh, this is my 
This gadget turns energy from the sun into power on Earth, and it collects all this energy in a solar energy power station. Well, in 1973, there was an oil crisis going on in the world, and so a device like this would be worth billions of dollars or pounds. We could use a Solix agitator today. Technology-wise, yeah, we're still nowhere near executing this concept. There was talk of building at one time solar collectors in orbit and then beaming the energy down to the earth to store and distribute, kind of like they're talking about here. They had problems with the concept of getting the energy down to the earth, though, and, of course, the storage part. <laughs> that yeah, part, that could be a problem. That part but they haven't figured out. <laughs> Uh, to, to me, isn't this just a really elaborate solar panel using today's terms? Well, I mean, the they design, collected it. The design for this was crazy. It was, I mean, yes, we're harnessing the sun yeah. for energy, which we've been doing since at least nine, since at least 1883. The first photovoltaic cell came out in 1954. Solar cars came out in 1955. Yeah, we should have I'm sorry? We should have solar cars now. We should have solar cars now. <laughs> Communication satellites in 62. Huh? There was a spacecraft that used solar in 67. And in 1974, commercial buildings started using solar. So I'm missing I'm missing something here because we even have solar farms that can generate electricity to be distributed to everybody on the grid. So I'm not sure what, what the deal is here. Well, the concept has been around a long time, like you said, but I think in Scaramanga's case, it harnesses the power of the sun and stored it. And I think this is what scientists have talked about again for decades, putting solar sails, like we said, and bringing it down to earth. They have a problem with collecting it on earth and storing it in a massive way, but bringing it down from uh, earth orbit down to the earth is an issue. Now they weren't dealing with that issue in this movie. They collected it right from Earth, <laughs> right yeah. from the big rock. <laughs> yeah, so the big thing was that they were able to store it? Yeah, I think so, storing it and then able to distribute it at will whenever they wanted. And I think that's the key here. But we really can't do that in any big way. Solar farms actually come the closest to it, like you were mentioning yeah. solar farms, because they do store energy in batteries, I think, though. And, and, and so that would be a lot different if you're trying to collect gazillions of units of energy from the sun in a earth orbit down to earth. But anyway, I, I don't know. I think maybe here the Solex agitator is really kind of a MacGuffin device. You know? Oh, absolutely. Right? It's so, absolutely because you don't really care about it. Yeah. You don't really care. about it. <laughs> All right. So let's get to something more down to earth. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Scaramanga's flying car. Oh, so we're going down to earth and we're going to talk about a <laughs> flying car. <laughs> <laughs> flying car is pretty neat gadget. One of our favorites, I think. I, I, I liked it. It's a small car, and a lot of people think it's a Ford Pinto with wings that could be attached to it, and then the instrument panel changes for airborne flight, kind of like the instrument panel changed in the Lotus Esprit and the Spy Who Loved Me when it became the submersible, which was pretty cool. Tom and I were at all of those locations in Sardinia, Italy, where they filmed the scenes with the Lotus, where it came out of the water, where it went into the water, where it was delivered, everything. The chase was very cool, beautiful. If you ever have a chance to go to Sardinia, <laughs> just do it. Fabulous. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. fabulous. 
So we can give this one a flyer and and say, yeah, we could kind of believe it. It really did not work, uh, not very well, but was a very cool idea. Not as cool as the the barrel roll over the canal, though. That oh yeah, that was that, that was, was that was fantastic. That's got to be one of the best yeah. stunts ever in any movie. Yeah. Boom! <laughs> that was that was great. Yeah. Now, so I I read a comment on movie clips that yeah. ta- where somebody talked about this, and somebody named Rob said that it was an AMC Matador on the ground, but a Pinto in the air. Mm. If I go to CarEnthusiast.com, and they cover the cars for all the Bond movies, they give a different story. Okay. So they say that the car is a Matador Coupe, an AMC Matador Coupe, and it could only fly about 500 meters. So what they did was they replaced it with a meter-long remote-control flying model oh, yeah. and filmed it in the air. Okay. So I, I ended up finding that Matador answer that you had, say, where they were saying it was a Pinto, but I don't believe that's right. I think the Matador one is, is correct. And this concept was based on something called the Aero Car, that came out in 1949. Mm. And also there was something called the Converse 116 or 118 from 1947. But in this movie, it was the Matador that was used to do the flying. Well, I mean, they did use an AMC car. That was definitely the car used in the bridge corkscrew jump. Yes. That, that was an AMC car. Well, when this thing leaves the garage, it's an AMC Matador. Okay. <laughs> with the wings on it. Now, supposedly the AMC car doing the corkscrew over the water was a Hornet X, AMC Hornet X. But there was a real flying Pinto that was developed by the AVE company that really never worked that well. It was criticized by the National Transportation Safety Board. Wait, wait, the NTSB had a problem with a Pinto? (laughs) Forget that it can fly. Yeah, that's the least of the Pinto's problems. <laughs> it used to explode upon impact with the rear, remember? Boom, rear impact, yep. bam. Yeah, yep. it was a problem with Pinto. And it was not a comfortable car. I have ridden in a Pinto. Anyway, they had a problem with this car. And eventually the two owners, testing out a new and improved version, were killed trying to fly it on September 11th, 1973. Now, given that the man with the golden gun came out in 1974 and was being filmed in 1973, you can see where the writers were aware of the Flying Pinto and incorporated it into the movie, perhaps maybe before the tragic crash, but likely they kind of knew about the crash already because of the timing. So maybe the Flying Car in the movie was based on the Flying Car, the Flying Pinto, but not really, not a real Pinto, but a Matador Coupe, which was produced also by AMC from 1971 to 1978. So the actual vehicle mock-up used in the movie supposedly sold in 2011 for a mere 7,480 pounds in London. I mean, that was pretty cheap for a bond car. Yeah, really? I mean, even if it didn't really fly, I mean, that was a steal. So just don't try to fly it, you know, (laughs) after. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I think that's enough on that. It was a cool gadget. All right. Okay, so let's have let's have some fun, Dan, and let's talk about the Funhouse. Yeah. I mean, this whole the entire Funhouse itself was a gadget, and it was designed so that Scaramanga could practice killing his prey under difficult circumstances. Yeah. But he also would bring his prey there sometimes and take care of them, as we saw in the movie. 
So that was kind of it was kind of fun that it was a fun house yeah. because of the, the the mirrors and everything, but how it was not just a practice site. He used it in real practice. Yeah, well, he, he brought in that the the guy you know we see in the beginning with, with yeah. the knickknack brings him into the fun house, and I thought it was cool because it does have a lot of elements to the fun house. I love the gangsters opening up and firing. There's a lot of cool stuff in the fun house and it, everything is a gadget as knickknacks kind of controlling the entire set, including making the golden gun inaccessible at times to Scaramanga. And he's got to figure out how to get it. Remember it's locked in that case and everything else. So, yep. so that's kind of cool. That was a, but the whole thing is a gadget. And I think that's pretty much it for gadgets in the man with the golden gun. I don't think there's... Yeah, there weren't, there weren't a lot of them in this no. movie. Uh, yeah, it was it was actually almost a little disappointing that there weren't more. Yeah, but it was fun. All right, so let's let's move on then. Let's go to the Spy Who Loved Me, nineteen seventy seven. One of our favorite Roger Moore outings as Bond, and one of our favorite Bond movies. I love the Spy Who Loved Me, and great casting in it as well. So, in the pre-title sequence for the Spy Who Loved Me. Bond's watch prints out a message, if you remember this. Yeah, how can you forget it? (laughs) On a tape telling him to report to HQ. (laughs) This was a form of communications in the 1970s, especially in the stock market business. But the miniaturization of it to a watch in 1977 is kind of over the top. But remember, in the U.S., much of what consumers enjoyed in electronics came from the space agency, NASA, including the miniaturization of circuitry. So they had landed on the moon eight years earlier. The gadget here printing this out (laughs) kind of looked high-tech then, but doesn't look so high-tech now. It looks kind of silly, really. Yeah, this this thing was lame. I mean, to me, (laughs) right? Electronic digital watches came out in 72 with the Hamilton Pulsar P1. Heck, even Hamilton had a calculator wristwatch in 1976, a year before this movie. And Seiko came out with an LCD watch in 1973. I would think they could have. (laughs) I don't know. You think they might have been able to get something to digitally display in 1977. Instead, this tape thing they used looked like it was the tape for what was then Dymo Industries' Dymo label or thing. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, which <laughs> launched in 1958. In fact, I think there's a piece of that kind of tape that we see in the um, in the Ipcris file. But yeah. I was just surprised they didn't use a digital watch here. Yeah. In Moonraker in 1979, they did use a Seiko LCD. Yeah. So it just, I was a little bummed that they used what looks like a Dymo label makers tape yeah as the message device yeah and you got to store all that tape inside the watch somewhere uh, you know, yeah exactly and and the ink <laughs> yeah uh, yeah there's, there's a little does, piece yeah, of you need the ink the, and, there's and a piece of tape that out. embosses the yeah, color it's, on yeah, it's it. got to emboss it too so it, it yeah. was i think one of the silliest gadgets in any bond movie really i think it, it was it could be it was there. I know you really hated that finger snapping thing in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, right. I didn't like. Is it. this as silly as that? <laughs> I don't this know. Might be, this might be worse. I, I, this might because I kind of like the finger snapper. It had a, it was there was a utility. Oh my god! Yeah, that was that's so low tech. That's like you know, like I, we said before, it's like you know, a gag store 
trick. Go buy one for a quarter or something. You know, uh, anyway. Well, here it would have cost you more than a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Now we got the ski pole gun, though. That, I think, is pretty cool. As Bond is escaping in the pre-title sequence again, his pursuers are on skis pursuing him. You know, when he left the beautiful woman in the lodge after he got his message that we just talked about. Bond the skiing, he turns around and aims his ski pole at one of the pursuers, and he fires, and he kills him. Of course. He's moving backwards. Yeah. Aiming at a moving object with, with the ski, ski pole, pole ga- gadget thing. Yeah. And, of course, he hits his mark. Yeah. They've been missing him firing all this time with bullets. Yes. But <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, they don't practice enough, like we've always said. Uh-huh. The yeah. enemy, they're not good at that. So this turns out to be Soviet agent Triple X's boyfriend. And this gadget fires a dart projectile. I always thought it was a bullet until we actually examined it. And you, it's it's a it's a dart projectile and you could see when it's in his, in the guy's chest that it's, yeah. it's really a dart. So we, we can go down that slippery slope I say and say that yeah, that's that's believable. You you could do What that. what is it with you today with these lines? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I got one for you. Okay, yeah. What? Okay. The submarine tracking system. Now, that's a key gadget in this movie, mm-hmm. and it allows Stromberg to identify the locations of submarines all over the world. Yeah. So this definitely is a seems like a relatively viable technology. It's a viable gadget for him. Yeah. Um, whether it can get all the submarines, who knows, but to be able to track stuff around the world by then we had the technology to do that yeah so to use one of your puns we can run silent and deep with this oh i like that that was a great movie by the way <laughs> run silent run deep <laughs> okay. yeah, but it's so yeah so it's you know that's a believable it, this, this one's a believable one we can we can we can keep going then and again it's it's the centerfold the centerpiece of the of the movie right? <laughs> centerfold no that's that's bond and on her majesty's yeah he's looking at the tracker <laughs> oh, my, yeah. oh that's what he was looking yeah, at Yeah, right. exactly she was holding it in her hand yeah that's it <laughs> ah of course the biggest gadget of them all is atlantis stromberg's underwater headquarters hey dan that's a pretty all-encompassing gadget with a lot of internal gadgets it is it is i'm glad you said that now really it's it's actually not really practical but you, you know, think? <laughs> but, okay, a billionaire can probably build one. And I always wondered, though, now you see that nice long room where Bond and Stromberg are sitting at a long table. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah How one can you point, forget? And, and, again, he goes back later and he shoots him through the under-the-table pistol tube. <laughs> where the heck is that long room on... Atlantis. When when it rises out of the water and you see it, you go, uh, where could that room be? Well, the whole bottom of Atlantis, that could be just one long room like that. It did not look like that, but all right. I'm going to give it a modicum of possibility in that I think it could fit in the bottom of it. Okay. All right. I, I had no ideas where it could possibly be. All right. Now, another part of this that we did like was the elevator right. and where that went, you know, that 
where he dropped his prey into the shark infested waters. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay. Fairly simple, right? Yeah. Fairly simple concept. You see a similar version of that in a view to a kill with the stairs to in the, for the blimp Yeah, that when, when they kind of jettison out the guy who was the Mr. Solo, if you will, mm-hmm. of that movie. Right. But we've seen bridges that open to dump other targets into shark, piranha or python infested waters as well in movies like moonraker where bond wrestles that python thunderball we've got the pool at palmyra which has the sharks in it and that's actually one of the more searched terms that from our website spy movie data database the golden grotto sharks yeah Um, check out our database on our website spymovienavigator.com spy movie database cool stuff yeah now in in your in you only live twice we have that scene where Blofeld flips that switch to kill Helga oh, for yeah. her failure to kill Bond. He, by, he does it by the, the switches by the pedal. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. And it collapses that bridge she's walking on. Yeah, and she gets and, thrown into the piranha-infested waters there, right? So that's good. And, and I think I think Eon Productions has some kind of fixation on dropping people into <laughs> shark-infested waters yeah. because we really see it. And license to kill yeah. when Felix Leiter gets partially fed to the sharks yeah. by Sanchez's goons. Yeah, that's a that's a great scene. And Tom and I were at that facility in Key West, Florida. Pretty cool. Yeah. Now, now it actually, in, in license to kill, actually, he doesn't fall into the water. They're lowering him into the water by a some type of winch or something. But the same, it's the same concept. Sharks are going to eat a body. A human body. So, part so of there one. you go. How, how okay. you get there is not that important. Yeah, <laughs> and you point. know, to, to, to me, the, uh, the doors open up and the sharks are in the water waiting for whatever's coming in. Yeah. Right. So, okay. All right. Jaws teeth. Let's let's take a look at those because, hey, it's got to be a gadget. But there's a backstory to Jaws steel teeth, which you really don't get in the movie. And... The backstory is he was injured by the secret police in Poland and he was beaten with hollow steel poles covered in rubber until he was left for dead and his jaw broken beyond repair. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Where where'd you come up with that one? Well, this is according to the novelization of the movie, The Spy Who Loved Me. Remember, Fleming's novel, The Spy Who Loved Me, has nothing to do with this movie and Fleming did not want that novel turned into a movie the way he wrote it, because he did not, it, it wasn't that popular, the way he wrote it. It was written in third person or something. Yeah, it was different. third person, yeah. yeah. Yeah, weird. It was kind she of She was odd. telling her story. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, the novelization of The Spy Who Loved Me by Christopher Wood, he brings all of this out in there. So you might take a look at that. In the same source, his name was, I'll try to get this right, this is Jaws' real name, Zabignu Grzwicki. Yeah. Easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. Of course, none of this comes out in the movie, but this is all in the Christopher Woods novelization, The Spy Who Loved Me. So check that out. But it's definitely a gadget. And he chews through chains, cable, car, cables, and more. Of course, in real life, that was licorice, I think they said, that uh, he was chewing through. But <laughs> well, that, that would be easier to chew through. Yeah. The steel <laughs> might be tough enough, but... You still need powerful jaws to do anything with steel teeth, though. So it's powerful jaws. Another pun. Powerful (laughs) jaws. Really, Dan? What is going on? I didn't even realize that one. 
That was good. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I you didn't you didn't have that one in your mind. Okay. Uh, uh, but so I don't think it was too believable. Yeah, yes. it's kind of it's kind of like Tihi live and let die when he has that mechanical arm and he takes Bond's gun and he holds it in one hand and then bends it with the uh, with the mechanical arm and bends Bond's gun. Well, <laughs> the other hand's got to be a vice to hold that thing steady. <laughs> it's for you to bend it with a powerful device. So that's unbelievable too. Anyway, so here you got his. It'll look good. <laughs> yeah, look good. <laughs> And, hey, Jaws was fun in this movie. I, I liked him in this Well, movie. yeah, it was so much they brought him back. Yeah. Right? All right. Now, one thing I like about the Bond movies aren't just the major gadgets we see. Sometimes it's the side gadgets that, that are, are exciting. Yeah. And some of them are exciting, and some of them are just kind of like, oh, that was pretty cool. Right? And the microfilm reader's another one of these side gadgets. Yeah. I mean, because they got that microfilm from Max Calba in Cairo. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's got the submarine tracking plans. Right. Bond gets to examine the film, though, with his portable device while Anya's sleeping on the boat on her yeah. way to meet Faluka. A few moments later, though, Anya knocks Bond out with another side gadget, which is this cigarette, which instead of puffing out a or shooting out a projectile like we saw yeah. in You Only Live Twice, this is a knockout powder that comes out of the end of the cigarette. That's cool. And it's pretty it's a pretty good device and she plays it off pretty well. Yeah. Believable. She just had to make sure she's blowing out and not breathing in when she did that. But, <laughs> but oh yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. It Remember, worked pretty well, actually. And that's blow out, don't suck cool. in on this cigarette. When I think that's believable. This. There used to be these little things when I was a kid called loads, L O A D S. And they came oh, in yeah. a little round can. You used to buy them in the in, in the uh, gag stores or in the trick stores. And you stuck one in the end of a cigarette when someone lit the cigarette, it would explode. I mean, they actually sold this stuff. Uh, I actually used those. We used I, it on my aunt. Yeah, my dad was in his office hey. typing. He was typing on something, and all of a sudden, I hear this thing go off, <laughs> and I hear this Tommy. <laughs> yeah, they, they, were, they were not happy. My aunt was not happy either. It was it scared the hell out of you, really. We, we, of course, laughed uproariously yeah. at these things. It was like a little the, piece of but, rice, almost. It looked like. But the person like, who gets hit by him is not yeah. happy. No, the whole thing. Yeah. It was pretty cool. All right. Cool. Let's get back to these gadgets. So, you know, of course, we were talking about the microfilm. Microfilm has been experimented with for a long time, starting with this guy, John Benjamin Dancer, who, and I'm sure you knew this, he's known as the father of microphotography. Oh, I did not know that. So there you go. And so, you know, microphone's been around for quite a long time. Yeah. And insofar as incapacitating agents, you know, the blowing the puff of powder out. I mean, that's, you know, incapacitating people has been around for a real long time. I mean, since like 600 BC, when Solon soldiers threw hellebore roots into these streams, supplying water to the enemy troops. That was clever. And the best part about this is the troops then developed di- diarrhea. <laughs> wow. Man, in 600, they knew this. B.C. Yeah, they, B.C. Whatever so, they call it now. Yeah, B.C.E., I think it's now yeah. called. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that one's pretty clever because, you know, instead of knocking you out, it's going to still incapacitate you pretty well. All right, so 1977, no problem then. We're good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right. In Q's lab, we always see a bunch of devices and gadgets, many of which do not make it into use in the films. But we're not going to go through all of them because there's a lot of them. But 
Maybe in a few. Oh yeah, all, all the stuff you can see in the lab that we never see used. Yeah. Other than the lab, yeah, that's yeah. There's there's some cool stuff in there. You have to wonder sometimes when the hell would they use that? Oh, <laughs> where? But uh, it's still cool. All right. She just had to make sure she's blowing out and not breathing in when she did that. But, <laughs> but oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, it Remember, worked pretty well actually. And that's blow believable. out, don't suck in on this cigarette. When I think that's believable. This. There used to be these little things when I was a kid called loads, L O A D S, and they came oh, yeah. in a little round can. You used to buy them in the in, in the uh, gag stores or in the trick stores, and you stuck one in the end of a cigarette when someone lit the cigarette, it would explode. I mean, they actually sold this stuff. Uh, I actually used those. We used I, it on my aunt. Yeah, my dad was in his office Oy. typing. He was typing on something, and all of a sudden, I hear this thing go off. <laughs> and I hear this, Tommy! Yeah, they, they, were, they were not happy. My aunt was not happy either. It was it scared the hell out of you, really. We, we of course, laughed uproariously yeah. at these things. It was like a little the, piece of but, rice, almost. It looked like. But the person like, who gets hit by him is not yeah. happy. No, the whole thing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. All right, cool. let's get back to these gadgets. So, you know, of course, we were talking about the microfilm. Microfilm has been experimented with for a long time, starting with this guy, John Benjamin Dancer, who, and I'm sure you knew this, he's known as the father of microphotography. Oh, I did not know that. So there you go. And so, you know, microphone's been around for quite a long time. Yeah. And insofar as incapacitating agents, you know, the blowing the puff yeah. of powder out. I mean, that's, you know, incapacitating people has been around for a real long time. I mean, since like 600 BC, when Solon soldiers threw hellebore roots into these streams supplying water to the enemy troops. That was clever. And the best part about this is the troops then developed di diarrhea. Wow. Man, in 600, they knew this. B.C. Yeah, they, B.C. Whatever so, they call it now. Yeah, well, B.C.E. I think it's now yeah. called. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that one's pretty clever because, you know, instead of knocking you out, it's going to still incapacitate you pretty well. All right. So, <laughs> 1977, no problem then. We're good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right. In Q's lab, we always see a bunch of devices and gadgets, many of which do not make it into use in the films. But we're not going to go through all of them because there's a lot of them. But maybe in a few. Oh yeah, all the, all the stuff you can see in the lab that we never see used. Yeah. Other than the lab, yeah, that's. Yeah, there's there's some cool stuff in there. You have to wonder sometimes when the hell would they use that? Oh, <laughs> where? But uh, it's still cool. I mean, he's had many killed uh, accidentally, you know, who he's dealt with, but one way or another. But, hey, is this possible? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you might be able to to build a car like this. They have those uh, army ducks that uh, go from land to water, so yeah, not underwater, but you know. I, they don't look anything no, like the Lotus Esprit. Cool like this, no. Uh, no. All right. So, right. so Dan, you you, met, you mentioned that we have visited all of the locations they filmed the Lotus. Yeah, every one uh, of them uh, in Sardinia. Yeah, and you know, so the nice thing about going to these locations and something like this is you can see where these gadgets are used, yeah. when they're used, and in here where the 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 car goes. Yeah. And so, you know, you can go to the town where the Lotus chase begins with that motorcycle. Yes, we found the exact spot. We found the exact spot, spot the for that. Was. Yeah. You know, to, to the wall where he spins around while being chased. Yeah, we were there. And where he drives the Lotus off the pier and into the water. Yeah. 
And then when it comes back out, that's a different beach. But they actually filmed the scene where they had the submersible car drive out of the beach. Yeah, they pulled it out. They pulled it out. And and the the, the location was absolutely fabulous. And we had some fun trying to find some of those places, didn't we, Dan? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we we thought the first night we got to Sardinia, we thought we found the road that led down to that pier that we were just talking about where it drives off. And we were wrong. (laughs) We rented this car and we're driving down this kind of like a hard sand dirt road. (laughs) And it was, it got bumpier and bumpier and even going slowly. It was, it was harrowing experience driving and for the car. So we finally pulled over and thought, now I think this might be the wrong road. And Tom says, there's like a puddle under the car. (laughs) What? It got there pretty quickly, too. <laughs> so, so we look under the car. And you're looking at the lights on the car. And we determine, after a moment or so, it was the brake fluid. <laughs> it was even better because one thing you'll learn about Sardinia, it's very hilly. Yeah. Wind your brakes. And now we have no brakes. <laughs> so we limped back to the hotel with our hand on the handbrake and driving very, very slowly because it was only about a mile away, but we still had a little more of this crazy road. And we made it, and they came and picked up the car and gave us another car. Now, remember when they came to pick us the car? The guy comes with his son. <laughs> the guy had his son with him. <laughs> they dropped him off, and we said, there's no brakes in this car. He said, no, it'll be fine. You know, he's talking <laughs> Italian. You know, it's like, okay, all right. So he takes off in the car we just had him pick up <laughs> yeah. with his kid, which uh, is just That crazy. was bizarre. So All Dan, right. there, there's there was a line in um, that uh, John Daly, a golfer, has used, and I believe he was quoting Richard Pryor. I think we killed the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't tell him about the road we were down. <laughs> no, oh, although we did see that car back at the airport being yeah. rented. Right? Yeah, being rented again, like two days later or something. It was yeah. like so. Holy. Hopefully, they just fixed whatever. Hopefully, it was just we we knocked off a tube or something. All right. So one of the other cool things in the scenes in Sardinia is another gadget. And it's where the motorcycle has a sidecar. Oh, chasing the he, Lotus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, chasing the Lotus. Yeah. And he launches the sidecar as a missile to try to blow up the Lotus. Yeah. Except, of course, Bond gets out of the path of the thing, and this guy ends up driving the sidecar right into a mattress or shooting this sidecar right into a mattress truck. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, okay. Nothing got hurt because it was all mattresses. Yeah, so, feathers going all over the place, of course. That said, it was a pretty cool spy gadget. Taking the concept of a sidecar and then turning it into a weapon was pretty was pretty cool. Yeah, I it seemed to me rather inefficient, though, because you got one, literally one shot, right? You're going to launch the whole sidecar into your target or at least shoot it towards your target. Uh, you know, maybe a sidecar should hold like several missiles that you can fire, you know, maybe one at a time or all together. But still, <laughs> it was still cool to see. And of course, you know, it set the man with there. the golden gun only needed one bullet. You yeah, only need true. one sidecar. You only need one sidecar. Not You're this good. Guy. <laughs> and of course, it gave us the great line, all those feathers that he still can't fly. All right. <laughs> That's a great line. Okay. All right. The wet bike. The wet bike is another gadget. This is kind of a precursor to personal watercraft like jet skis and skidoos and stuff. 
and it's indeed innovative at, for the time. So we're including it as a major gadget. The wet bike in the movie actually worked, and Roger Moore was actually riding it. And in his Bond on was, Bond... Wait, Roger was doing his own stunt? Yeah. In his Bond wow. on Bond book, he claims he fell into the water a number of times, requiring more makeup, clothing change, etc., before they finally got the shot right. So... That's what he said uh, in his book, Bond on Bond. So the wet bike actually was produced from about 1980 through 1992 when other personal watercraft companies kind of took the lead like jet ski. And oh, wait, others, wait, right? though. Let me let me correct your timeline here, though, because yeah. the Kawasaki jet ski, which is where the name jet ski comes from, they released that in like 1972 or 1973. So wow. this was be- this was before the wet bike. Yeah. So that's maybe the timing seems popular. The timing seems to but maybe it's the style because some of these watercrafts like this, you would have to ride standing up and others you would ride sitting down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't really, I don't, it could just be the order that those things came out of. Okay. That I, cause the original jet skis, I believe you had to stand up on. So it might be, it might be a slight distinction there between those. So I'm All not right. sure. All right. The escape pod was the final <laughs> major gadget. Here, Stromberg had it at the ready in case he needed to escape Atlantis. But Bond and Triple X managed to get into it and escape instead. Was that what they did? They were escaping? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We have a similar device, of course, and diamonds are forever as an escape device from the oil rig. Sure, why not? We could believe you have an escape device. I mean, good planning. What the hell? Sure, have one just in case. Bond movies are escapist films anyway, right? Hey, come on. Hello. Escape. Boom. All right. Well, you know what? Let's escape from talking about these two movies. All right. We've gone through the gadgets that are in those two movies now. Yeah. Okay. Here's a spy movie tip of the week. If you ever get a chance to watch the movie Spies Like Us with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, which, of course, is supposed to be funny, spoofy, and interesting, well... Don't. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. It really is a two-star movie, and that's only because it has one amusing part to it. So we would say, hey, skip it, move on. Wait, are... d- don't say we. <laughs> Come on. You like that movie? <laughs> I'll talk about it in a second. I'll give you a chance to oh my God, shout no. out on this, but then I'll give you my thoughts. Oh, my God, no. No. There are better movies to, to go watch, like The Secret Invasion and The Adventures of Tartu, both of which we have episode podcast episodes out on those are where would you rank this against number one of the secret (laughs) service yeah check out number one of the secret service we just uh launched that podcast episode recently it's doing very well interesting movie all right listen to these podcast episodes and then watch these movies secret invasion and the adventures of tartu and our episodes will help enhance your viewing experience but spies like us i would say Skip it. Come on, Dan. I mean, I'll I'll admit this wasn't a great movie. Thank you. But we did disagree on number one of the Secret Service. I thought you should just skip it. And you're like, why not? I mean, if you are a Chevy Chase or Dan Aykroyd fan, why not watch this movie? Yeah. Plus, it has Bernie Casey, who played Felix Leiter from Never Say Never Again. Uh Derek Meddings helmed the special effects in Spies Like Us. And he was part of the 
Moonraker visual effects team nominated for an Academy Award yeah, 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 for yeah, Moonraker. Yeah. He won a special yeah. Academy Award for part of the visual effects team for Superman. Yeah, go watch those movies. <laughs> and he also did the special effects miniatures and or visual effects on Live and Let Die, GoldenEye, The Man with the Golden Gun. He's good. And for, for your eyes only. So you know the effects are going to be good. And especially, you know, in a movie like Spies Like Us, there's even a laser that has they have some fun with. Oh, my God. And you know how I like lasers in a movie. <laughs> yeah. That's why I did that episode on it, the, the video on it. Yeah, on we YouTube have one too. on the 12 so, uses of lasers in, in Spy movies. Okay. It's my movie. So I think this is one of those movies that you and I are going to just have to disagree on. Yeah, I okay. agree okay. it might be two stars, but when you're saying skip it, a two-star movie, if you're just sitting there, you're having a cocktail one night, why not? And especially <laughs> if you're Chevy Chase. absolutely nothing else to do. Watch that. Oh, if you're a Chevy Chase or Dan Aykroyd fan, it, you know, why not? Yeah. They weren't they do their all that funny in it, actually. Dan Aykroyd wrote it, too, which I was surprised. All right. That is a wrap. Well, wait, right. I think we should do an episode on that movie, Dan. I think so, too. <laughs> Lots of gadgets we looked at today from a couple of Roger Moore Bond movies. This has been Dan. And Tom. From SpyMovieNavigator.com and our podcast show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Yeah, we're all over social media, too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.